The American Society of Clinical Oncology Annual Meeting 2022 took place on the 3rd to the 7th of June in Chicago, Illinois. We had loads of great updates and discussions during the meeting and spoke to the presenters of some of the biggest trials. In this podcast, we're going through some of the highlights from our interviews with leading experts in gastrointestinal cancers. Let's hear from Dr. Vinod Balachandran of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center about a phase one trial of mRNA neoantigen vaccines for pancreatic cancer. So this was a single center investigator initiated phase one clinical trial where we targeted to accrue a total of 20 surgically resectable pancreatic cancer patients. We excluded patients who had locally advanced or borderline resectable tumors or patients who had received any neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So standard surgery for pancreatic cancer. And then we perform surgery. This include pancreatic duodenectomies and distal pancreatectomies, splenectomies here at Sloan Kettering in New York. And within 72 hours, we ship their tumors in real time to our colleagues in Mainz, Germany, where they undergo real time exome sequencing of their tumors, of the normal DNA, as well as RNA sequencing of the tumors. And then following this, there is computational identification of the neoantigens in their tumors, followed by individualized manufacture of mRNA vaccines, incorporating these new antigens for every single patient. So while this is happening in Germany, Back here in New York, we treat these patients with a single dose of atezolizumab, anti-PDL1 blocking antibody that we benchmark to give to patients at six weeks after surgery. And then at nine weeks after surgery, benchmark them to begin receiving the first of eight consecutive priming doses of their individually manufactured mRNA new vaccine. Following this, they get standard of care modified fulfirinox chemotherapy followed by a vaccine booster dose. The primary endpoint of the study was safety, but important secondary endpoints include immunogenicity. So can you in fact stimulate uh, immune responses against mutations in a lowly mutated tumor such as pancreas cancer? The second is of course feasibility. Can you, um, can you individually make mRNA neoantigen vaccines in real time, fully integrated into a standard clinical workflow and deliver these to patients uh, without any delays. And the final and secondary endpoint was 18 month recurrence free survival. And uh, the summary of our findings was that we found in terms of feasibility, namely, can you individually manufacture mRNA neoantigen vaccines fully integrated into a standard clinical workflow and administer it to patients? The short answer is yes. We found that our achieved time to individually, to deliver individualized mRNA neoantigen vaccines was within three days of our benchmarked time. So we do think rapid adjuvant custom vaccination with mRNA is feasible. In terms of the safety, uh, we found that these vaccines were safe. We saw no grade three adverse events with atezolizumab and only one of 16 patients had a grade three fever and hypertension to uh, mRNA neoantigen vaccines, which was well below our study defined safety threshold, prompting us to halt the study early. And in terms of whether the vaccines are able to stimulate immune responses, uh, we did find that these individualized 
mRNA new antigen vaccines were able to stimulate uh, T cell responses in 50% of uh, unselected pancreatic cancer patients. We also find that these uh, vaccine induced T cell responses are substantial. Uh, re- um, going up to about 10% of all peripheral blood T cells, and they are durable, persisting in the peripheral blood up to 2.5% of all peripheral blood T cells up to two years later. And at a median follow-up of 18 months, which was extended beyond our secondary endpoint of 18-month RFS, we found that immune responders had a median RFS that was not reached compared to immune non-responders who had a median RFS of 13.4 months, a difference which was statistically significant that we reported. So based on this, we think vaccines are able to stimulate immune responses in pancreas cancer, which has historically been considered to be a lowly mutated cancer and therefore unlikely to harbor new antigens suitable for vaccines. So we think this is uh, promising uh, evidence of uh, on-target drug activity, and we now hope to uh, follow up with this with a randomized clinical trial in pancreas cancer that is currently under construction. We got another update in pancreatic cancer from Professor Raina Feitzkau from the University Hospital Erlangen. He told us about the CONCO 007 trial, which investigated chemoradiotherapy in locally advanced pancreatic cancer. The CONCO 07 trial is a randomized trial which compared radiochemotherapy to chemotherapy following induction chemotherapy. We enrolled about 525 patients for induction chemotherapy. And thereafter, there were about uh, 325 patients randomized to chemotherapy or radiochemotherapy. Overall, overall survival and progression-free survival was not changed by chemoradiotherapy. It was the same for chemotherapy or for chemoradiotherapy. But what is important in this trial is that we could show that local therapy is important for these patients as we recommended uh, that all patients who were available for a zero resection following the whole therapy should be um, treated with surgery. And we found that none of the patients without surgery survived five years. In contrast, 17% of the patients with surgery survived more than five years. And what is more important, or what is also important, we found that if you send a patient to surgery, chemoradiotherapy is important because you have a higher chance, a significant higher chance of getting an R0 resection in these patients. And for these patients, we have a five-year survival rate, which is something new for locally advanced pancreatic cancer, uh, of about 25%. And that is very important, I think, what is the most mission for this, or the most important message for these patients is if you've got an advanced or you have a locally advanced pancreatic cancer, you have to be treated within an interdisciplinary trial, a team of surgeons, of medical oncologists and radiation oncologists, and you must have been sent to surgery if it is possible. And if it is possible, there before that, chemoradiotherapy is important.
Dr Ian Chow of the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust discuss the role of CAR-T therapies in the treatment of gastric cancer. CAR-T is a very um, interesting strategy uh, in solid tumours, including gastric cancer. So the uh, preliminary data that was presented in, in ASMO last year, uh, coming from China, which is now uh, fully published, uh, does show a very early promising uh, results of using CAR-T in gastric cancer. And there they're using uh, Claudine 18.2 as a, as, a, as a target to make, to engineer the CAR-T. Um, now, the, um, the uh, challenge, okay, which again based on, because one of my other roles is actually treating lymphomas, where I use CAR-T as a standard therapy for my lymphoma patients. So we uh, do recognize some of the uh, challenges that we might face if we treat solid um, cancer patients. So partly is the time from uh, actually uh, harvesting the cells from patients, manufacture the cells and going back to them because all that can take a certain amount of time. And in some of these patients, whether they can wait okay, that long uh, for, for them, for the disease not to progress so quickly and able to infuse the cells back and have enough time for the CAR-T to work, okay? So uh, I think some of the challenge would be at what time point do we think that we need to start uh, harvesting cells and make CAR-T and uh, store them? Because if you do it too early, then there might be a lot of patients who do not require it for a long time or who may not require it for at all. Okay, but if you're too too late, then they don't they the cancer can't wait enough time uh, for for the patient to be still well enough to uh, gain the benefit from CAR T. So I think there is a, a fine balance between efficacy, uh, the logistic of delivering the treatment, and how long, uh, you know, how when and how long you can wait to give the patient the treatment. So I think all these will. Um, you know, no doubt the efficacy will be very exciting, but there is uh, many, uh, many things in the, in the balance that we really have to do in order to, you know, deliver this if, uh, treatment to patients. Dr. Chow also took us through the expanded efficacy and safety analyses from the Checkmate 648 trial for esophageal squamous cell carcinoma. Checkmate 648 is a large a global phase three randomized control trial in first line treatment for advanced esophageal squamous cell cancer of the esophagus. Uh, it is the largest study that was being conducted uh, in this disease and patients were randomly allocated to chemotherapy alone, chemotherapy plus nivolumab and nivolumab plus ipilimumab. Uh, and in this study, um, 970 patients were randomized and the primary um, survival data was in fact uh, published recently in New England Journal of Medicine uh, two months ago, where we've shown that the addition of nivolumab to chemotherapy or nivolumab plus ipilimumab both significantly improve overall survival compared to chemotherapy alone, both in the primary patient population with a PD-L1 um, tumor cell expression of 1% or more, as well as in all randomized patient population. 
So in ASCO this year, we have um, uh, reported some of the extended analysis uh, from this large randomized control trial. Because the first thing that often clinicians will ask is that we, uh, and in fact, based on this data, because um, these um, regimens are now licensed in different countries. So uh, in Europe, in Japan, and most recently in US, about 10 days ago, they were all randomized. But the, um, the, so they're all licensed. But the license is different between different countries. Um, so for example, in Europe, um, the, this treatment is only licensed in patients where they, they have a tumor pdl one expression of 1% or more. Whereas in US, they actually are licensed in all comers. So the next question clinician often asks is how do we actually choose uh, patients? Do we only choose patients who have a P, um, high PDL1 expression of 1% or more? Or do we actually, can we treat everyone? So the extended analysis that we have uh, presented also look at another scoring criteria, which is very, um, uh, very familiar to, to uh, upper GI clinicians, uh, oncologists, which is using the PDL1 combined positive score or CPS. So let's look at PDL1 in both tumor as well as immune cells. Uh, and what we're able to demonstrate is that, in fact, the survival um, advantage, for example, for NEVO uh, chemo versus chemo, was seen in those who have PDL1 CPS1. Uh, one or more, then actually that is over 90% or in fact 92% of the patient population. So that is why uh, we see the, the uh, all randomized patients were getting the survival benefits. And that is this also the same in the comparison between ipilimumab, nivolumab uh, versus chemotherapy. Now, other um, anal analysis that we've done, which again supports uh, this regimen as the new uh, first-line option in uh, advanced surgery cancer, is that we look at what we call PFS2. So these are looking at the time when patients progress through their first line, but also through their uh, second-line therapy. And we, what we observe is in, if when patients receive IO, so either in the nivolumab plus chemotherapy arm, or the nivolumab plus ipilimumab arm, they actually have a more prolonged PFS2 compared to those who have chemo. So it appears that as long as they uh, have some pre-exposure to some uh, checkpoint inhibitors, they even benefit them in the subsequent line therapy. And I think that probably explains why we've seen the overall survival uh, benefit uh, we observe in checkmate 648. Um, lastly, which I think is of quite important, again, just showing really the efficacy of this new regimen, is that if you have a response which is achieved by having the addition or having checkpoint inhibitors, uh, nivolumab, uh, your response is going to be much more prolonged than the response you achieve with chemotherapy alone. So what we are able to see is um, the patient who responses were beyond a year. So they actually very durable response over a year. You have a much higher proportion in the nevo plus chemo arm as well as the nevo plus uh, EP arm compared to chemotherapy. So really, I think what we the, the data that we pres present at ASCO this year, um, we reinforce um, these two regimen as the two new uh, standard of care in first-line therapy for advanced esophageal squamous cell cancer. Dr. Christine Parsegian of MD Anderson Cancer Center talked to us about anti-EGFR rechallenge therapy in advanced colorectal cancer. 
Obviously, a big area of my interest is how to overcome resistance to anti-EGFR therapy, uh, whether it be through rechallenge efforts um, or combination regimens. So we were the first to really look at uh, acquired resistance mutations um, occurring with the first line or with later line, like third line therapy. So we looked at plasma samples from three large phase three trials, both in the first line and third line setting, and actually found that uh, after, you know, in the third line setting, Setting, patients had a significantly higher um, rate of acquired resistance mutations. Um, and this varied by um, line of therapy and type of therapy. So patients also, we looked at patients who had gotten um, chemotherapy with uh, anti-EGFR versus anti-EGFR alone, and also found that those getting uh, chemotherapy with anti-EGFR had lower rates of acquired mutations, um, somewhat of a crossover resistance that we were kind of seeing. So this has significant implications um, in terms of um, how to overcome resistance uh, to anti-EGFR th therapy and raises questions about not only acquired genomic mutations that could um, kind of um, be contributing to this resistance, but also non-genomic mechanisms, transcript transcriptomic mechanisms of resistance that really need to be addressed in the future when it comes to thinking about how to best rechallenge these patients. Dr. Richard Kim of Moffitt Cancer Center discussed results from the Phase 1b Keynote 651 trial which combine chemotherapy and immunotherapy in metastatic colorectal cancer. The Keno 651 was designed to see if adding immunotherapy to chemotherapy or a MEK inhibitor in MSS or microsatic stable colorectal cancer make any difference. Just of note, the, the Keno 651 had actually five different cohorts, you know, A, B, C, D, and E. The one that I presented was a B and D long-term follow-up, and that was a first line and second line with full FOX or fulfurin second line adding pembrolizumab. Now the other core, just as a background, you know, A, C, and E are adding MEK inhibitor. So the A is just pembrolizumab plus a MEK inhibitor. And the core C is a first line with Fulfox plus a MEK inhibitor plus pembrolizumab. And the core E is second line in Fulfiri. So the, so the rationale is that we know in, in MSS colorectal cancer, the response rate to immunotherapy is close to zero with, a, with minimal response at all. Only patients that benefit are the MSI high patient. But the question is, can you add chemotherapy or can you, can you add targeted therapy to sort of change the microenvironment to make the tumor more immunosensitive? So basically turning this, what we call cold tumor to hot tumor. So the results uh, from the, the Keno 651 study, the long-term study, at least core and B and D, show that yes, by adding pembrolizumab and to, uh, to chemotherapy, there, we did see some efficacy in terms of response rate uh, and the PFS overall survival. That seems to be comparable to historical number. Now, once again, this is not a randomized study, so there's no comparison arm. So I cannot say one, one arm is better than the other, but at least number-wise, it seems to be comparable. One thing that does stand out is second-line uh, case with fulfiria plus pembrolizumab, where the overall survival is over 25 months. So once again, from that perspective, from historical perspective, that seems to be a little bit longer than the typical what we see. But once again, the caveat is that it's a very small sample size and it is not a randomized study. So the question next step is, can we find out a biomarker? Is there some kind of predictive biomarker that can predict who will respond to the, the combination regimen, including immunotherapy in MSS colorectal cancer? Well, we saw some trend. Uh, we, we saw that maybe certain gene expression, uh, we saw certain uh, you know, PD-L1 expression may uh, correspond with higher response rate and longer uh, PFS and overall survival. 
Um, other uh, thing we looked at is the KRAS status. I think that's very important because we know that KRAS, uh, patient with KRAS tumor tends to be non-immunogenic. Uh, they tend to be less inflamed compared to a RAS wild type. So in our study, the patient who are KRAS wild type, once again, tended to have a little bit higher response rate, longer PFS over survival, but it was not significant compared to the patient with KRAS mutant. So once again, I think based on the small sample size, I'm not sure if it could come to any conclusion in terms of whether any of the biomarkers are predictive of response to immunotherapy in the MS of colorectal cancer. However, having said that, I could confidently say that you know, combination of Pembro plus chemotherapy was very well tolerated. But once again, since this was not a randomized study, obviously further study needs to be done to see whether this goes forward. Having said that, and there are other randomized phase two studies that's been presented in similar setting where they add chemo plus IO plus anti-VEGF with bevacizumab, which is commonly used. Unfortunately, those, uh, those studies were not very positive. Therefore, I think, unfortunately, based on those data and our data, I am not sure if adding chemotherapy to immunotherapy in MSA colorectal cancer in first or second line is gonna go any further. We also heard from Professor Jean-Pierre Girard of Centre Antoine Lacassagne, who explained the three-year follow-up data from the phase three OPERA trial for rectal cancer. The rationale of the OPERA trial is that, of course, surgery is the main treatment of rectal cancer. But when you perform surgery, you remove the rectum and the life is not so much comfortable after that. And we know from Abergama in Brazil, a surgeon, that when you give radiochemotherapy, we can sometimes sterilize the tumor. And if there is a clinical complete response, we can avoid surgery. And we also know from Papillon in Lyon some 40 years ago, that when give contact therapy through the intracavitary approach, you can increase the dose and increase the sterilization rate and the organ preservation. So the rationale of the OPERA trial was very simple. First, in selected rectal cancer, OPERA means organ preservation in early rectal cancer. In this early T2, T3AB less than five centimeter, to compare the standard treatment at Bergama, six weeks of radiochemotherapy versus five weeks of radiochemotherapy, like in Abergama, but to replace the external beam boost by a boost with contact therapy, three fraction, 30 gray, each fraction, 90 gray, three fraction. The trial was a control open label trial where participating center was in France, four centers, in UK, four centers, and in Switzerland, one center. We included 141 patients between June 2015 and June 2020. And the hypothesis was to double the rate of organ preservation. And the results now is known. The median follow-up time is now more than three years. And out of the patient treated with the standard treatment, Abergama, the organ preservation rate was 59%. And in the opera contact arm, it was 81%. It was highly significant with hazard ratio of 0.030, very high. And in this trial, we stratified the tumors 
in two categories, the tumor more than three centimeters and the tumor less than three centimeters. And when the tumor was less than three centimeters, we started with contact therapy and then we gave the chemoradiotherapy as a bergama. And when we start in this tumor less than three centimeters with contact therapy, the conservative rate at three years is 97%. Out of 30 patients, 32 patients, we have only one failure. And in the uh, other arms, without contact therapy, instead of 97%, it is 61%. So it is very, very highly significant. And the conclusion is that probably in this selected small tumor, less than three centimeters, T2, T3A or B, contact therapy first and chemoradiotherapy can be a standard treatment to protect the rectum and save the rectum. One of the biggest trials in gastrointestinal cancer at ASCO 2022 was the phase three paradigm trial for colorectal cancer. We spoke to Dr. Takeyuki Yoshino of the National Cancer Center Hospital in Japan about these results. Paradigm is the first the prospective clinical study to test the superiority of panitumab over bevacizumab in combination with the standard chemo modified for six treatment in patients with last white type uh, metastatic corrective cancer. The findings in the primary endpoint is that the uh, overall survival in the left-sided population, if positive result, we move forward to the uh, to test the OS in overall population to define both the left side and the right side of the population, hierarchical way. So results show uh, we uh, uh, got the uh, survival benefit, the primary endpoint of men in the left side of the population as well as the right side of the population with a hazard ratio around the point zero, 0.8 to 0, and so favoring the panitumab over bevacizumab. So secondary endpoints showing the some of the one uh, response rate and the R0 curative resection rate is very higher uh, in panitumab over bevacizumab. So in conclusion, my presentation is that a new standard of care of the panitumab modified Holofox 6 treatment over bevacizumab plus modified Holofox 6 in patients with last white type, left-sided uh, tumor population. Professor Chiara Cromelini of the University of Pisa discussed what the possible impact of these results could be. I do believe that based on these results that are prospective and not based on subgroup analysis, uh, doublet plus an anti-GFR should become the first choice for patients with the left-sided RAS and BRAF wild-type tumors. Uh, I do not believe that doublet plus bevacizumab is an absolute mistake, but definitely I would push toward the choice of doublet plus anti-GFR as a first choice. Then if a patient is completely worried about the skin rash and the toxicity profile of this class of drugs that are anti-GFR, then we can share with him or her that there is a 3.6 months disadvantage in terms of overall survival, in particular and at long term, and a clear disadvantage in terms of treatment activity. So I think that this trial provides very important information for shared decision making and in general for the choice of the upfront therapy for these patients. That wraps up our highlights in gastrointestinal cancer from ASCO 2022. 
We have loads more interviews with experts in GI cancer and beyond on vjoncology.com, so why not explore? If you enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple, to make sure you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Twitter for all the latest updates in oncology. Stay tuned for more podcasts covering the highlights from ASCO 2022.